to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. I thought it was interesting some of the things that were already shared this morning. The scripture passages that I'm going to use this morning were referred to in the first song we sang, also in Anson's devotional, and a few other, other thoughts kind of tied in. But we're here this morning on December 26th, the day after Christmas Day, the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And leading up to this morning, leading up to my studying and preparation, my mind continued to go to the disparity between the celebration of Jesus' birth that we see going on around us, and maybe to a certain degree we're participating in, and the true purpose in his coming. If you don't see that disparity, get your Bibles out and read, because there's a vast gulf between the purpose of Jesus' coming and what we see going on around us in the month of December. If you're like me in the past several weeks, you've probably been asked more than once by someone, are you ready for Christmas? I should ask for a show of hands, but I won't. How many of you all think that's a hard question to answer? Because what does that mean? And I think to a lot of people that means, have you done your shopping? Have you done your Christmas baking? Do you have your gifts wrapped? Do you have your travel plans in place? And so forth. And I'm not saying that those things are all wrong. But I often sense a wrong focus in the celebration of Christmas. The celebration of Christmas that we see around us, and, and I'm afraid sometimes touches us, is a celebration that comes to be about the ones doing the celebrating and not about the one whom we are celebrating. Did you get that? It becomes about the ones who are doing the celebrating. It's about me and my family, and it's not about Jesus Christ. So this morning I would like us to take some time and think a little bit about the one who is being celebrated, to think about why he came to this sin-cursed earth, and not only why he came, but I'd like to look a little bit at what that cost him and what that means for us today. Now, if we cover all those points in their entirety, it would take more time than we have this morning. So I just want to look at a couple of different scriptures and bring out a few different points that have impressed me in looking at these passages. And first of all, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 3. 
I realized that uh, somewhere in my studying, I realized that I spoke about a month ago from this passage, but I think my thoughts are slightly different. John chapter 3. Just going to read three verses here, starting with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I think that these verses, in many ways, sum up the, the, the real reason, the driving force behind Jesus coming to earth. Jesus came because of God's love for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to give up his son to send to earth to live with us, to teach us, and to die for us. Have you ever considered the question of why did God love us? We read this verse. It's one of the first verses probably almost all of us memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you ever consider why God loved you and me? It wasn't because we deserved it. Because as mankind, we had turned our backs on God. I believe it was motivated by the fact that God created mankind in his own image for the purpose of worship and for fellowship. God designed mankind in a unique way so that we could have a relationship with him. And even though that relationship was broken, I believe that God still had a desire for, for a closeness and a relationship with mankind. And he desired our worship. That's what God desired, but sin broke that connection. That fellowship was broken. That sin caused us as mankind to focus on ourselves and not on God. Like I said, we had turned our backs on him. We wanted to go our own way. That sin caused man to exalt self. In other words, to worship self. That's something that we all struggle with today in the, in the flesh. We want to worship self rather than God. And it destined man to not only to live a life of serving self, 
and sin, but to an eternity of separation from God. It separated mankind in this life and in the next. We see that Jesus' love, he sent his son so that whosoever believes in him might not perish. That's not speaking of the physical death that everyone that lives this earth will, will experience. But that's speaking of, of the spiritual. It's speaking of the eternal separation from God. I believe that is, was the motivating factor for God to send his son to earth. Also in these verses, we see that God's purpose in sending his son was not to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn. And we need to realize that when we come face to face with Christ, we may face conviction. We may feel condemned because of our sin. But Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. We were condemned already. Because we had inherited that sin nature. That nature that separated us from God. So the world was already under condemnation. So we see then in verse 18 that it says that he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not, he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that condemnation doesn't come through Jesus, but rather it comes from the sin nature we inherited from Adam and Eve. And it comes... Uh, uh, it, or it's a condemnation to sin. It's a condemnation to serve self. And it's a condemnation to eternal punishment and separation from God. We need to recognize that, that sin and following our own way is repulsive to God. It brings that separation but God here in his goodness, we see in his love, he desired for that relationship to be healed. He desired for us to fellowship with him and to worship him. And so he created us with that capacity. He created us as an intelligent and eternal being. Qualities that he didn't give to anything else in his creation. We can talk about animal intelligence and how James and I were just talking about that the other evening. About how a dog or you name it can be trained and can actually sometimes demonstrate what would appear to us to be a, a certain degree of ability to reason and think things through. But yet... All of that that we might marvel at in the animal kingdom pales in comparison with what God gave to you and me. The ability to think and to reason, to have intellect. Also, he gave us the eternal quality 
when those animals that might seem so smart pass away, their life is over. But God has put in man that eternal seed that will live forever after this life. But, but th those qualities, that ability to think and to reason, gave us the ability to worship and the ability to fellowship with God. But it is also what allowed us to choose our own way. It's what allowed us to give in to temptation when Satan came. So, what is, was God's greatest gift to mankind at the time of creation became our greatest curse when we used it the wrong way. But God, in his love, provided a remedy when mankind had turned their back on him. He gives us the opportunity to use that, that intelligence, that ability to think and reason, and again, make the choice to come to him and to heal that relationship. Jesus came that we could have an escape from the condemnation that we are under. God provided the gift of his son so that we could make that choice. So that we could choose to change our status from being condemned to not being condemned. Now that belief is an accepting belief, not a verbal profession. It's an accepting belief that brings about a change based upon Jesus' teaching. It brings about a change from living for self to living for him to doing what Jesus says we should do with our lives. See, we, we make that choice and we surrender our ability to think and to reason back to God where we had claimed it for ourselves and lived for self. So the motivating factor I see is God's love, God's desire to have a relationship with his creation. But it's up to us to make that choice. I'd also like to think of what that cost Jesus to come and provide that ability for us to choose him. Turn to Philippians Chapter 2. I 
again, fairly familiar verses. And we're not going to read all of the verses here in this section, so we're a little bit taking this out of context. But the context here is that of Paul giving instructions to the the Philippians that they would be unified, that they would avoid selfish ambitions and discord and divisions within the church. But I want us to see what he said here about Christ, starting at verse 5 and reading through verse 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We'll stop there. So as an example, Paul sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus coming to earth. So he gives a glimpse here into Jesus' pre-incarnate state before he came to the earth. He says he was in the form of God. And I believe that that refers to Jesus as having the attributes of God, the glory of God, the, the authority, the power of God. And I want to think about that a little bit. Uh, we struggle to understand the glory of God because we haven't seen it face to face. But we're told in the Old Testament account where Moses went up on the mountain and met with God and God said that I'm going to show myself to you. You can't see my face, but I'm going to pass through and will pass by and you will be able to to see my backside. And after that experience, Moses came down and his face was radiant to the point that the people were afraid of him. There's a, 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 a glory to God that we cannot grasp and comprehend. And what we see here is that glory was Jesus' glory before he came to earth. He was in a glorious state of being, a glorious state of power and authority. So what did his coming to earth mean? It means that he left that behind. It says that in verse 7. He made himself of no reputation. It's interesting to look at these verses in various translations. There's, there's some things in the original Greek that are a little difficult to translate in these verses. And so as you look at different translations, there's kind of a... Uh, a little bit of a range of how they word some of this. In that phrase, he made himself of no reputation. I just wanted to read several other translations of that. One is, but he made himself nothing. It's a comparison. From what he was, he made himself nothing. 
another, but emptied himself. He, he had this, this glory. He was in the form of God, and he emptied himself. He laid it aside willingly. Another, he stripped himself of his glory. Jesus had something unimaginably wonderful that we can't comprehend in our minds. And Jesus said, I'm willing to lay it aside to go to this sin-cursed earth. And it says here that he came and took upon him the form of a servant. Notice that comparison. It says before Jesus came, he was in the form of God. But he took on him the form of a servant. Think about the difference. It would be a big step down to be in the form of God and come as one of the greatest, most exalted men of the earth. That would be a step down. But that's not what Jesus did. He left the form of God and took upon him the form of a servant. The lowliest. The most downtrodden. I don't think that we can fully grasp what that means. The, 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 the step down that, that was for our Lord. We might be able to grasp, at least in some ways, what it would be like to be a lowly servant. Or we might say a slave, but we can't grasp the difference between that and the glory and power and splendor that was Christ in heaven. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 8, he goes on to say that he went further than that. He went further than taking on the form of a servant. It says he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. You know, Jesus didn't come and just die, live a nice, peaceful life, and, and die an easy death. You know, we hear people say that, you know, they just want to die peacefully in their sleep. You know, that's kind of, you know, we, we all, to a certain degree, are a little bit afraid of death. And so we want it to be easy. That's not the death that Jesus died. But rather he died a death that was humiliating, excruciatingly painful, one that was cruel and unjust, a death so barbarous that the Romans would not even execute their own citizens this way. Did you know that? If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be executed by crucifixion. It was too lowly of a death for a citizen of their own state. Think about that a little. Jesus was in the form of God. He submitted himself to being the lowliest of men. Jesus in the form of God was the embodiment of eternal life. He was an embodiment of power and of authority. He would have had God's qualities of being omnipotent, omniscient. 
You're all-powerful, all-knowing. And he gave it up to submit to the effects of condemnation that you and I are under without him. He came in the form of a man who is under the curse of sin. He lived a lowly life here on earth. We don't know a whole lot about his, his existence as a boy. But the little we do know would point to the fact that we live like kings in comparison to what our Lord probably, probably lived during his life on this earth. He lived a lowly life, not an extravagant one. He experienced the same temptations and struggles of the flesh that we have. And he experienced that physical death that we all face. Those things are foreign and incompatible with the nature of God that Jesus had. But because of his love, he is willing to lay that down. He was willing to lay it aside to experience these things of earth. So that you and I could have the opportunity to learn from him. Could be taught by him. And could believe on him and be freed from the condemnation of sin that we're all under. So we rejoice at Christmas time when we think about Jesus coming to earth. And we rejoice that he was willing to give up all of that for our sakes. But I want to jump back and look again at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's a calling here for each one of us who is named the name of Christ and true repentance. And that calling is in essence to go and do thou likewise. If we truly believe in the Lord Jesus, a true belief that causes repentance and a change of heart, we must arm ourselves with the same attitude, an attitude of service, an attitude of willingness to sacrifice. To sacrifice not the glories of heaven. We don't have to give up much. Do you ever think about that? In comparison to Christ, we are not called to give up much. We're called to sacrifice things like my time my money, my pleasure, my comfort, my self-image, those things that we cling to, trying to strive for earthly glory. Did you ever think about that? Christ had to give up the glory of deity. The things in life that we cling to, we typically are clinging to them, trying to hold on to some form of earthly glory for ourselves. 
And Paul is saying here, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ. And we need to give those things up for him and for the good of others. But not just for the physical good of others, but for the spiritual good. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he did a lot of things to alleviate suffering. He, he healed people. He provided food, etc. He did many marvelous things that provided, for, for, provided physically for people's needs. But Jesus' earthly ministry was marked by his primary purpose of meeting the spiritual need of people. In making himself of no reputation, it was to minister to our deepest need, our spiritual need, that we could be freed from the bondage of Satan and sin and self and have a relationship restored with him, with God the Father and his Son. So how do we do that? A lot could be said about how we do that. But I think we need to strive to get our focus off of the things of this world and onto spiritual things. The things of the Lord. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Those are sobering words. If we're clinging to those things that bring us glory as, as human beings... We're struggling, this verse says, to have love for the Father. We need to be emptied of self, like Christ was emptied of his glory. We need to have a belief in him that moves us to action, that moves us to be like him in what we give up. We need to not be inspired by the baby in the manger, but inspired by the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who was in the form of God, who is willing to lay that aside and come and be the baby in the manger, but not the babe, just the baby in the manger, but so that he could serve, so that he could suffer, so that he could die, so that we have a path to be freed from the condemnation we're under. We like to grab onto little cliches that sound good. And we like to say things like, uh, let's not leave Jesus in the manger. And that's correct. We need to recognize that the baby in the manger was a step toward his ministry, a step towards his sacrifice, and a step towards his resurrection. And a step towards him being re-glorified again in heaven. So let's not leave him in the manger. And let's not forget the reason he was there. That he loved us so much 
that he was willing to make that tremendous sacrifice on our behalf. And let's not forget his willingness to empty himself of his glory so that he could come and do those things. And let's not forget that you and I are called, if we believe in him, to go and do likewise, to empty ourselves, and to serve, to have the mind of Christ. May God bless you. Let's have a song.